1: Ashley Hales, host of the Finding Holy podcast, where we help you connect the dots between the things that really matter and your everyday holy life. Because I think it's really easy to keep church and God and culture and all of these great ideas in one box. Meanwhile, we get busy and harried and we're just focused on our to-do lists Monday through Saturday. So how about we bring them together? Here at the Finding Holy Podcast, that's exactly what we're doing. We want to live whole, integrated, seamless lives, and we are giving you the tools to do that. Stay tuned for a great conversation every week, as well as one small step so that you can connect the ideas and the conversation and the wisdom into how you actually live. For the month of January, I am joined with my husband, Bryce Hales. He's the church planter and pastor of Resurrection Orange County in Orange County, California. And we talk about the influence of secularism in the suburbs. Whether or not you find yourself in the suburbs, you're likely shaped by a Western mentality of consumerism, of choosing unlimited freedom as the path to the good life. And so we want to help you break that down a little bit and give you one small step, some communal and some personal practices to take into your everyday holy life. Here's my conversation with Brace. Welcome. But Suburban Boot Camp is really a chance for us in a few weeks to have kind of an extended conversation. And I brought along my husband, Bryce Hales. Hey there. Hey. We're <laughs> hanging out in our living room. We are chatting about secularism and suburbia because this is what one does. Um, you know, I that's, guess.
0: That's what you do when the kids are at school. <laughs>
1: <laughs> totally. So. Um, anyway, if you've missed this the first episode, make sure you just pause real fast. Go back and listen to that first episode. But um, this episode, we're going to be chatting about the secularism of suburbia and what does that look like. And then we're also going to talk about how do we combat this kind of secular imaginative force in our life through some sort of like personal or household practice. And then next time we're gonna talk a little bit about what do we do as a community, as church communities uh, to that end as well. So maybe Bryce, could you just give us a quick little recap of where we're going in this language of secularism and suburbia? Yeah, so we're
0: talking about this idea of kind of uh, the secularism of suburbia or the secularism of the right. And um, we think of secularism as often like a, a progressive urban kind of movement. But one of the things we're realizing in our context is that uh, it's here too. And so I've been talking about secularism as the idea that life can be great without God. And so in our context, um, that looks like, you know, I can't tell you the number of times that somebody has come to me and said, well, we're not going to come to church anymore because our kids are on this travel sports team. And, you know, it's good for the kids. And (laughs) so we're going to build our lives around uh, the pursuit of, of a great life without God at the center. Mm -hmm. And so the idea of it's good for the kids, I've got to do this because it's good for my kids. (laughs) But statistically, our kids aren't going to play professional sports. (laughs) Our kids are not going to be playing sports in college. So um, we justify the pursuit of the kind of right now experience. Mm
1: -hmm. Um,
0: And we use our kids as like kind of the...
1: Buffer. The excuse for that, <laughs> right? Yeah,
0: and the effect is that we end up building a life pursuing comfort and ease
1: mm-hmm.
0: without God at the center of our lives. Yeah,
1: and you know, obviously, this conversation is part of it, but you know, it's something that we've talked about a lot. You've preached all the way through at Resurrection Orange County, and um, my own book, Finding Holy in the Suburbs, is you know, we're trying to chart paths, you know, through these conversations and resources about how do we live differently? How do we actually put God at the center? How do we recover some of this transcendence? Um, you yeah. know, even those of us who are Christians, right, who might believe the right things or sign on the dotted line or having a conversion experience, yeah. um, we don't actually live any different.
0: Right, right. Yeah, so I've been reading recently a book called Faith for Exiles, which is by... Um, David Kinneman and Mark Matlock. And um, uh, David Kinneman is the president of the Barna Group, which is um, you know, probably the leading organization that researches Christian trends and demographics related to Christianity and faith. And they've um, in, in this book, Faith for Exiles, David Kinneman is, is reporting on research they've done where, you know, everybody says that millennials, people kind of 18 to 35 years old, are leaving faith, they're leaving church. You know, people are f- freaking out uh, in Christian circles because the sky is falling and the church is gonna die, and what are we gonna do? And um, and the Barna Group, what they did is they they researched, uh, this is global, 26 countries, and what they found is a more nuanced explanation of what's happening. And by the way, this, this really isn't about millennials. This is the age group they, um, millennials get a bad rap, but millennials are the products of, you know, the boomers and Gen X before them. And so this is not slamming right. on on millennials at all. This is the, uh, you know, they researched that age group. And so that's what the data is based on. But what they found is a more nuanced kind of explanation than all these people are leaving the church and the church is going to die. Mm-hmm. Um, what they're finding is that there's a significant percentage of people who grew up in Christian homes who are millennials, 18 to 35, who have kind of deconverted and and abandoned their faith. The thing that really fascinates me, what they found is that of millennials who grew up in Christian homes, uh, 10% of them are what they call resilient disciples. And I love the word resilience because the way they define resilience is realism plus hope. Mm -hmm. And so it's not just, hey, you need to look at the world that you're in and be realistic because then you just get really depressed about what's going on. Mm-hmm. And it's not just pie-in-the-sky optimism, but it's realism. You have to see what's going on, um, but also hopefulness because Jesus is still on his throne, and he's still in control. And uh, so what they did when they found 10%, uh, w- what they discovered is that in with the pressures of a secular culture, um, for some people, if you grew up with a fragile faith, Your faith is like a wine glass, and when pressure is exerted against it, it just shatters, and your faith is gone. But for resilient disciples, uh, their faith is like a muscle that when it's uh, put under stress, it actually grows back stronger. Mm -hmm. And so having discovered that 10% of millennials who grew up in Christian homes are these resilient disciples, they then wanted to lean into that and see... What is it about these people that is causing their faith to flourish despite mm-hmm. the pressures of secularism? And you know, it's kind of the idea of if everybody's getting the flu, you don't study the sick people; you find the people that are healthy and resistant to the flu. Right. And what are they doing that's keeping them healthy? Mm-hmm. And so, um, what they discovered is that there are, um, and this is again globally, not just in the United States, that resilient disciples are people who have. Um, committed themselves to certain spiritual practices mm-hmm. and they have these spiritual characteristics mm-hmm. and um, I, was, I, I was reading uh, I've been reading through the book of Jeremiah recently and I love this idea because this is this has been at the center of, of the faith practices of God's people for thousands of years so Jeremiah uh, 6 verse 16 it says thus says the Lord stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it And find rest for your souls. Mm. And I love this idea that if you want to go somewhere, if there's a way that you're trying to travel, um, you know, you look for a way to get there for the 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 roads. But God's saying, look for the ancient paths, the paths that you know your parents and grandparents and and those who have gone before us in the faith have walked over over years and millennia. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, really, what they discovered uh, the Barna Group in this research is confirming what the Bible is saying. Um, you know the last thing Jesus said before he before he ascended into heaven is, "Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit." And usually we we um, we kind of stop the right. Great Commission right there. But but what he says as he continues is, "Teaching them to obey everything that I commanded you, mm-hmm. and surely I am with you even to the very end of the age." And so uh, we have. I certainly grew up. Um, in this time where I feel like in the church we were saying um, hey like we don't want to be legalistic Uh, you can still be a Christian if you don't really read your Bible there was kind of this pressure of like you have to have your daily quiet time right or you're like a terrible awful person right and then sometime uh, as that like kind of grew it was like like
1: early 2000 yeah well we
0: don't want to be legalistic about this and so you don't have to like that doesn't save you right Right, it doesn't save you, and yet it's going to be very hard to follow a God whose word you never read. read. Right, <laughs> <laughs> right, if you never not...
1: go to church, you never read your Bible, you never pray, right, you know, right. how do you even know?
0: Right, and so going to church, praying, reading the Bible, uh, practicing, you know, evangelism, serving the poor none of those things make you Christians, mm-hmm. um, and yet a Christian is a person who does these things. I think about it, you know, we just kind of came through the holidays and there's certain things that our family does around Christmas. Every family's got their Christmas traditions. But, you know, we do things like there's this whole series of Christmas movies we have to watch. Yeah. Um, we do Christmas crackers on Christmas Day. Um, you know, obviously we do the things everybody does, like getting a Christmas tree and decorating it. None of those things make our kids Hales kids They're Hales kids because they're our kids, and we love them. And um, and yet, part of the experience of growing up in this family is that this is who we are, and these are the things we do. Right. Um, And we do these things regularly and habitually.
1: Right. Right. And you know, I think it's just really interesting. um, You know, raising our children here in an affluent suburb, and thinking about some of these things, because and it kind of came to mind when you're talking about you know these ancient paths. And I I want to just clarify that. I think, it, uh, in some kind of forms, this idea of like following these ancient traditions and stuff sounds like super hip and cool now, right? Like everyone's like rediscovering right, right, liturgy, yes. and you know, yes. and that they're they actually been around for a really long time, and yet it's become kind of the the you know the religious experience du jour. Um, and and then other times, you know, this idea of like following in these paths it just brought to mind, you know, like these, you know, how we how our brains work, you know, kind of ruts neural in our neural pathways where like every time, you know, someone says something about your appearance or whatever, you tend to go into a shame spiral because your dad said something about your appearance or whatever. And there's, there are paths, right, that are well-worn and unhealthy, right? And then there there are paths that are well-worn and healthy, you know, in the same way that there are limits that are provided for you know for flourishing right mm-hmm. and then, then in other ways that there are limits that are legalistic and stifling so to simply say like i just want to just clarify you know uh, you know the, these ancient paths we don't just follow them because they're ancient and hip and cool and now rediscovered and neither do we follow them because that's the way we've always done it
0: yeah i mean i think christianity is is unique in terms of a uh you know religion or spiritual um you know, spirituality in that we do talk about the forms and the, the importance of habits and routines mm-hmm. and liturgies. And yet none of these things are things that we can just do by rote. And so there always has to be this heart engagement.
1: Right, and the spirit that, enlivening our heart. So exactly. let's talk about in our remaining time on this episode here about, you know, what's one... Maybe one habit we could develop as individuals, or even as a household, or you know, with roommates. If you're you know living in an apartment with friends, um, what's one kind of habit that you can do Monday to Saturday that is going to help develop resilience? I really love that word. I think it's important. It's not it's not combating secularism as yeah. something you think in your head, but yeah. what is something that you can do within your body?
0: Yeah. Well, so here's uh, the first practice that comes out of Faith for Exiles and what what are the characteristics of resilient disciples? And um, the Barna Group found this. In a weary and busy age, resilient disciples experience a source of life outside of themselves by experiencing the presence of God. Mm -hmm. And so if you think about how much of our lives are caught up in kind of this busyness and this frenetic, like, I just have to do things. And then the way that social media and just the scroll... Right. Um, is kind of so us, often yeah. it's like this. I'm scrolling through social media and it's this search for like I want to just find something that is gonna mm-hmm. make me feel happy and alive. And yet, um, you know, Psalm one uh, contrasts the way of the person who follows God with the person who doesn't, and it says that the the blessed person is the one who's uh, it compares him to a tree planted by a, a, a river. And so uh, the blessed person, we don't talk about blessed, but the person who is content, you know, the person who is flourishing,
1: not hashtag blessed. <laughs> <Please>. Right. Right.
0: <laughs> yes. Yeah. The person who is content ha- has roots that go down into the river of the presence of God. Um, and he meditates on the word of God day and night. And it says all he does flourishes and he uh, yields fruit in season. I like the idea of yielding fruit in season. You're not yielding fruit all of the time, right? You know, but you're yielding fruits in season. There are seasons when God brings faithfulness um,
1: to to fruition. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: yeah brings Exactly, God yeah. brings faithfulness to fruition, mm-hmm. and yet uh, all He does prospers. Um, obviously, that can't mean like everything is going great all the time, and right. it's always bigger to you know yeah. up and to the right. Yeah, but. Um, there is a sense of prospering um, uh, when we understand when we have the perspective on what is God doing in my life. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All that I, do, um, all that He does, prospers.
1: Yeah, and let me just interject real fast because I think that is just such a counter narrative to what we hear, like everywhere around us, right? In in the Instagram squares, you know, on Facebook, you know, uh, that we get the highlight reels on social media. Um, Tish Harrison Warren had a Great um, op-ed, and I think the New York Times during Advent, and she just kind of said, you know, we've we've internalized, you know, the American American culture goes from like one saccharine holiday to another, right? Like it's <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. and they're often very sugary, you know, but like as well, like that there's it's just from high to high to high to high is like the narrative yeah. that that our our cultural calendar tells us yeah. to follow, and yet I love that picture of, you know, there are seasons and there are seasons of grief, but The prosperity that the Bible is talking about there is not prosperity of you know from hype to hype to hype.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's in the day in and the day out. And so this this uh, this uh, practice of experiencing the presence of God through Scripture and prayer, God speaks to us. God wants to uh, you know hear us. Uh, Mm -hmm. He He wants to spend time with us. And so I used to think of Scripture and prayer as two different things, but I'm coming to think of scripture and prayer as sort of two sides of the same coin. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, I mean, just one real, well, I guess it's not a real simple thing, but uh, we've kind of discovered the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality course. um, uh, Pete Scazzaro. And uh, he's got um, some books uh, that he's written that are all uh, just great, but especially this course, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, is really about discipleship that goes beneath the surface. So how how do we discover um, God through those times of barrenness and loss? Mm. Um, but also just, uh, part of the course is the practice of the daily office. And so, uh, morning and evening, spending time uh, in prayer and silence and scripture. Um, and, uh, and, and so it's something that we've really benefited from as a couple, and we're beginning to take uh, people from our church through this. Uh, the thing I like about it is it's, it's a simple way to get your feet wet. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I feel like I talk to people who um, say, well, I've never read the Bible, so I don't really know where to start, or I don't really know how to pray, and it, it seems to me like the way you learn how to read the Bible is by reading the Bible, <laughs> the way you learn how to pray is by by praying, mm-hmm. and yet, how do I get started? And so, um, emotionally healthy spirituality, day by day, even if you're just doing this as a family or on your own, mm-hmm. um, is a is a great little kind of devotional book that gives you, you know, a, a good place mm-hmm. to start experiencing the presence of God mm-hmm. as a source of life um, to begin our day with, to finish our day with.
1: Mm-hmm. I would like to maybe we could just chat for just a second too to, you know, as we talk more about emotional, health, spirituality, and what it look like to practice the presence of God. I think there is a, a version of secularism, and I'm sure it's probably on both the right and the left, but, you know, as we think about the suburban boot camp, what does it look like for those of us who tend to be in kind of centrist or right, maybe slightly right-leaning places um, that prize affluence and comfort in creating your own identity apart from God? What does it look like to actually begin to practice the presence of God? How is that different than, you know, simply, you know, going through a Bible in the year kind of checklist or, you know, going to church regularly? Because I think it is qualitatively different. You know, that's kind of, you were talking in your sermon about, you know, this, that early followers of Christ were known as the way, right? That it was, yeah. It was a, Active movement towards Jesus. It wasn't simply, yeah, well, I think that, that part
0: of it, 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 the earliest Christians knew in a tangible, experiential way that if the gospel wasn't true and if Jesus wasn't present in their lives, that uh, this whole thing was going to end in failure. Mm-hmm. And part of what, um, you know, in a suburban context and an affluent context, we've gotten to the point where we, we feel like we don't actually need God and that, um, you know, it's, it's not just that we avoid suffering. It's, we avoid anything that might lead to, like, we think of awkwardness as a reason to avoid, um, you know, important things because that might be slightly uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And so when we've sort of insulated ourselves from suffering and discomfort, um, Secularism, in some ways, uh, sees suffering as as the only evil. You know, you have to avoid suffering because happiness is mm-hmm. is the most important thing, and um, and so when we've been insulated from suffering, we don't feel our need for God to the same extent, and so it's easy for, you know, even things like going to church, reading the Bible, praying to become sort of empty and rote. Mm-hmm. Um, when when you're actually struggling uh, and you open up the Bible and God meets you through His word, um, there's just there's just no way to describe that experience other than to say um, God God meets His people through His word. Uh, the Holy Spirit is present and active through His word and um, and uh, and we need him and I'm hungry for him. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> And really, you know, if we say that, you know, when we're talking about the idea of secularism, I, I think another way we can think about it is like the sacred secular divide, right? And um, you know that there are things that are quote unquote holy and sacred, and there are things that are like worldly and material and quote unquote secular. Um, and really, you know, the the language of the Bible is uh, presumes a holistic view of yeah. all things, not yeah. and, and including the human person. And so I think. If we want to dismantle this kind of false dichotomy between sacred and secular that we tend to actually live by, even if we don't purport to hold those values, yeah. like we have to actually experience the real God, right? Like, instead right. of just like, well, I put my Bible reading in the sacred category, but I'm not actually connecting to the author of, the, of these words, you know, I'm just, I've done this. And so... I've checked off my sacred box so I can get back to real life, which is the secular life.
0: Yeah, yeah. and Right, and so there's even like a secular way of reading the Bible, yeah. which is I just read the Bible and I dissect it yeah. and I take it apart and, you know, mostly I believe it, but I kind of ignore some parts. Um, and, yeah, so a lot of this is contingent uh, on the Holy Spirit actually showing up. Right. You know? Yeah.
1: <laughs> and being like, I don't, you know, I just think of Elijah, like, who's depressed after he's running from, you know, after he's had victory at Mount Carmel, and he's running from Jezebel, and he's super depressed, and he thinks he's all alone, and, you know, he, like, he's expecting God to show up in a certain way, you know, through the earthquake, through the fire, and God comes, you know, through the sound of silence, or through, you know, a whisper, um, yeah. so, and it's just, we have to be willing to be totally upended. By God, (laughs) Right,
0: right. And honestly, that's part of what we don't like in the, you know, secularism of the right and the affluent suburbs. Like we don't like the idea that God is going to uh, shake things up. Um, And yet, I think maybe this is kind of a a good place to end in some ways. But at some point, I think you have to look at your life and say, well, I've been pursuing happiness. Mm. Am I happy? And I would, I know very few people who would say, yes, I'm exactly where I want to be in life. And so if, uh, you know, you ask the question, are you happy? Are you flourishing? Are you thriving? And the answer is, well, maybe not. Maybe it's time to try something different. Yeah. You know, maybe there's a God who actually loves you and wants to meet with you. Um, and he wants to, uh, be the source of your life and he is, uh, Active and present through his word, and as we stop and uh, spend time with him in his word and silence and prayer, uh, he meets us in profound ways.
1: So, what's one small step we might even just put our toes into that stream um, this week?
0: Yeah, well, I feel like maybe I need to just go where I went Uh, last time you asked me that question last week, but you know, the book of Psalms uh, is a great place uh, to begin, and one of the things that we've been doing. Uh, with varying degrees of success is um, you and I just set an alarm for noon and every every uh, day at noon when the alarm goes off whatever we're doing pause and read a psalm and read through them you know, sequentially there's 150 psalms you could read through them twice in a year um, but it, it's not so much about what am I learning or we talk about what did you get out of that hmm. as it is Um, stopping in the middle of my day to remind myself that I am in God's presence. God is omnipresent and I am always in His presence and yet I'm often not aware of Mm -hmm. His presence. Mm -hmm. And so um, I'm building these habits of stopping at various times during the day to read God's Word. And this can be, you know, you can read a psalm in two minutes sometimes. Um, It's not necessarily about the length of time. Uh, as it is just the building the habit of, of experiencing the presence of God and realizing he is not far removed. He's not living beyond you know mm-hmm. the furthest galaxy, uh, distant from our experience. He's, he's here and he's present uh, in our lives.
1: Mm, I love it. Yeah. And if you feel bold enough to add a little bit of silence to bookend some of your reading, to begin to slow down and to pause and And to not always reach for our phones um, when we have a moment where we don't have something required of us. We become human again, maybe a little bit less like machines who are, (laughs) you know. Well, I love what Pete
0: Scazzaro says. We're human beings, not human doings. (laughs) Yeah. And sometimes we got to stop doing things in order to uh, recalibrate uh, just our awareness and expectation that we are human beings. Love it.
1: Friends, I hope you enjoyed that great conversation about suburban secularism with Bryce Hales and myself. And whether you find yourself in a city or a suburb, a small town, a college town, out in the countryside, wherever you may find yourself, we hope that you are able to connect the dots between the things that really matter and your everyday holy life. And so to that end, I'm gonna leave you with one small step. And you've heard a little bit already on the podcast on our conversation. But here is your small step. I'd love for you to simply pause sometime in your day, set an alarm, either on your phone or a bright orange sticky note. And you know what, that little ding was actually my reminder to read a psalm. How odd. So (laughs) it's like life imitating art. Set a reminder on your computer, set a reminder on your phone, give yourself a bright orange sticky note for your forehead and do something different with your body. Whether you stand up from a desk job or you start walking or you sit down and you kneel down, do a little bit something different to know that, you know what, I'm not in control of my life And pausing to read the very words of God can be just what I need day in and day out to remember that I am part of something bigger. It's one small step to begin to integrate the story of Jesus Christ, Son of God and Son of Man, into your everyday holy life. So I hope that you will join us for next week. It'll be our last episode of Suburban Boot Camp, where Bryce and I are going to chat about suburban secularism and what you can do as a community. So let us know how this goes. Tag me at AA Hales on social media. Use the hashtag Finding Holy Podcast. We hope that you will take just a quick second to rate and review the Finding Holy Podcast on iTunes. It's one way that we know people are listening, and we're actually taking some of these steps into our everyday holy lives. We would be thrilled if you shared an episode that you found useful with a friend as well. So remember, wherever you find yourself, that these big things matter, but so does the laundry.